My name is Graham, and uh, I am the student pastor here. Um, and it's my honor to be with you this morning. Usually, uh, I don't even get the privilege a lot of Sundays to even make it into a worship gathering. I'm too busy keeping teenagers from burning the building down. Um, that's a full-time job. Uh, and so, uh, no, so I, I, I get the chance to be with you today, uh, and I'm excited about that. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, uh, Acts chapter 17 Acts chapter 17 is where we'll be uh, this morning, continuing our series in the kingdom now, uh, looking at the early church and kind of the ways that we, you and I can learn uh, how to apply uh, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ into our daily lives and what our church might look like. And so over this week, I, I, coming in hot off of travel, we got in, I got in late last night. Uh, we had to make a run over to Memphis, which uh, my wife and I are from. I don't hold that against me. Um, but um, we, we had to be in Memphis this week. My father-in-law had uh, some significant surgery um, on Friday morning on his neck. Uh, had to take some, I don't even understand. They didn't ask me to help. Um, but uh, they, they had to pull some discs out, fuse some stuff together. It seemed really uh, extenuous and made me grateful that I'm in ministry. And so um, that was funnier than you're letting on. And so uh, anyway, so we were there. Uh, and my father-in-law, just by way of, of introducing you to him, uh, is one of the godliest and uh, most loving men I know, um, but he also is a man. Uh, and w- so what that means is that he is um, significantly stubborn at times, as men most are. Uh, and so he, though he is as loving as can be, he ended up in a, in a situation where the, the surgery was really restrictive. Uh, so it's in his neck, so he's in a neck brace, and he's got that you're, you're not able to really move a whole lot. They're not even allowing him to get up out of the hospital bed. It's a really intense uh, situation. And so when you put a man who is strong-willed and uh, headstrong, and I'm trying to use words other than stubborn because he might be watching this morning. Um, but when you, when you get that, you mix it in with somebody else telling him, hey, you can't do this. You end up in a really bad way. Uh, and so, uh, man, he is coming off of pain meds and he is, uh, you know, coming out of really general anesthesia and he is just not himself, right? Like he's pulling on stuff and he's, he's trying to take his IVs out. Man, he's, at one point he convinced us that he was going to get up out of the bed, walk to McDonald's, get a quarter pounder with cheese and watch the Tigers play. <laughs> Which, by the way, I don't want to talk about um, because that was a, a tough loss yesterday for the orange in me. But, uh, so he's just, man, he, and he's not doing that because he's difficult. He's doing that because he's on DeLauden. Um, and so he's, he's a different person, right? He's, he's persistent. Man, he is just not giving up. And I sat there Friday just kind of finalizing my thoughts on what you and I might talk about today. Obviously, uh, we've been working on it all week, but kind of Friday was the moment where it's just final touches. Here's what I, is on my heart. Here's what God's saying. And I was struck by the persistence of my father-in-law, that he just wasn't giving up, right? That he, he wasn't going to be denied, though he was denied several times. But in his mind, man, he is, he's as strong-willed and as excited as ever to do whatever it is that he wants to do because he's just not completely recovered yet. And I wonder if that's kind of where we find ourselves at some point in our, in our daily walk. Well, man, we start out as far as making impact with the world around us. We start out totally committed, headstrong. Nobody's gonna stop us. We're gonna take on hell with a water gun like we are completely convinced that nothing can touch us. And then at some point along the way, if we're just totally honest and transparent for a moment, we would say that there are days where you feel like you just want to give up. 
Yeah, I know that doesn't sound very Christian of me, very pastorly of me, but there are days where you just want to give up. Where it's just, man, is this worth it? Like as far as Brian mentioned earlier, the my one and the person you're, you're, you're working on, you're praying for, you're, you're ministering to, is this really worth it? Man, I'm working hard. What if, what if I'm not educated enough? What if I don't know enough? What if I'm not eloquent enough? What if they're offended by me sharing with them? What if it costs me the friendship? What if it, it just causes more trouble than it might be worth? At Clearview here, if you've been with us for any length of time, you heard us talk about the word purpose. The, the mantra that we hold up, the, the banner we raise is simply no more purposeless people. And what that means is we believe God created you with a purpose and we wanna help you find it. Because when you find your purpose, you'll begin to see that your life is best lived to the glory of God and to the benefit of other people because after all, purpose is pointless without people. You were created for the person sitting next to you, for their betterment, for their maturity, for them to look more like Jesus. And so we help you discover that purpose. And one of our efforts that we we really try to to, to run that through is what you heard Brian mention ago called the My One. My One is essentially one person that God has put on your heart that you know needs to know Jesus, needs to experience the love and forgiveness and freedom that you have experienced in him. And you begin to pray for that person and serve that person and love that person to the extent that one day you're able to have a gospel-centered conversation with that person. And we end up in this spot where we feel like we're giving up. We feel like, man, I've tried and I've figured, I haven't got any traction. I've worked as hard as I can. It's just not happening for me. And is it even worth it anymore? And in the book of Acts, in chapter 17, we see Paul, as we do throughout a lot of Acts, but we see him in a spot where he's faced with the decision of, am I going to continue going or am I going to have to, is it even worth it anymore? So Paul, we were going to pick it up in verse 22. Paul is walking, has made it to the city of Athens, and he's facing what is called the Areopagus, which is basically a city council. It's the people, the king's advisors, the people who help make decisions and, and, and guide the direction of the city. And he stands here in verse 22. We read, Paul stood in the middle of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that you are extremely religious in every respect. For as I was passing through and observing the objects of your worship, I even found an altar on which was inscribed to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, he is Lord of heaven and earth, and he does not live in shrines made by hands, neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things." From one man, he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. And he did this so they might seek God and perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Verse 28, for in him we live and move and have our being as even some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Since we are God's offspring, then we shouldn't think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image fashioned by human art and imagination. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent because he has set a day when he's going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. And he has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from 
the dead. I realize that's a lot to cover, but it's, it's one of the most beautiful pictures of Jesus where Paul just basically explains, hey, I know what you think you're aiming at, but can I show you the better way? But it's kind of a weird way he does it, right? Because Paul walks into the city council, the people who are making the rules of this city of Athens, and basically tells them, hey, you're worshiping in ignorance, and you're worshiping the wrong God, and, and everything you're doing religiously is backwards. It's a, it's a bold strategy, right? Like the, the guts that Paul had to stand in front of the people that he did and tell them, hey, everything you've been doing is completely wrong. I don't know that that would necessarily be received in the most gracious of ways, but I want to notice a couple things that he talks through here. Right off the bat, it's interesting to me, he says right there in verse 20, uh, 22, I, I see that you are extremely religious in every respect. It's interesting to me and incredible to me that this deposition, this address, this, this uh, thesis, dissertation, if you will, from Paul uh, was not given to people who uh, were atheistic in nature or agnostic or disinterested or pagan or whatever it might be. They, 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 they really believed themselves to be religious or that they, they were the kind of people who had every box checked, who did everything they could to make sure that things at least, if, if they weren't all good, they at least appeared that way. People who really didn't have a need for anything else because they were, were sufficient in their own ways. Their identities wrapped in their own successes, their own performance, their own works. He's speaking to those people. And man, I'm, before we even think forward, man, I, if that doesn't describe the context in which you and I live today, I don't know what does. We're measured by success, by performance, by our, our, our works. We're measured by checking all the boxes. The, the, the society around us is all, we're good. We don't need anything else, right? We're, we're good in our own way. But also he moves on forward and, and, he, and he, he starts out and, it, and it's interesting. He, he, he goes right to the heart of the matter. He doesn't spend time filibustering or saying, hey, I got seven things for us to talk through today. He got his one point. And his point is the aim of their worship. It's the aim of their worship. The most important thing about you and I is the position of our hearts. The most important thing about our lives is the position of our hearts. It's the fundamental problem in our world is the aim of our worship. I believe that wholeheartedly. That is that something has taken the place on the throne of our hearts and has, has moved us to a position where our attention is on someone or something else. And I use our very carefully there because it, we shouldn't expect a world to worship a God that we don't. We shouldn't expect a world to put a God first or to honor a God that we just, if you examine our lives, we, we don't. It's easy for you and me to sit in this room today and say, uh, man, the, the world has just gone so, so awful, right? Like how, how awful is that? Well, Psalm 115 in my Bible tells me that the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he's given over to his children. So Michael Jackson might've been right. We are the world. You didn't think you were getting a Michael Jackson quote today, were you? We are the world. So instead of us separating ourselves from it, saying, man, the world has just gone so bad. Well, we're here. That's our job. And we set the pace. We are the pace car for the aim of the worship. And Paul goes right at it because the issue in our church today and the issue in the church of Athens is pretty similar. Old habits die hard, I guess. But look at the response of the people once they had heard. We didn't read this a minute ago. We will now, verse 32. <coughs> Excuse me. It says, when they had heard about the resurrection of the dead, 
some began to ridicule him. And others said, we'd like to hear from you again about this. So Paul shares the gospel. He, he points people to Jesus. And, and a couple of verses later, you would hear that a couple of men came to, to the uh, saving faith, believed what Paul was saying. But largely, people responded either in adversity or in complete apathy. Just, I, I just don't really care. Like, we'll, we'll, we'll talk later about this. I'm a little intrigued, but I, I, it's not something I want to deal with today. So at first glance, you would think that this story is pretty sad, unsuccessful. Like you would think, like, what? Well, he did a whole lot of work and didn't really see a whole lot of, of fruit. It's not exactly the most uplifting of stories until you realize that it's not the end of the story. Because Paul would go on in the very next chapter to, to arrive in Corinth. And in Corinth, he would meet a couple named Aquilus, uh, Aquilus and Priscilla. And they would become monumental in the ministry and life of Paul by financially supporting him, uh, by ministerially going with him, by giving him a job, by, by housing him at times. Like I'm telling you, they were absolutely pivotal in the life and ministry of Paul, the power couple of all power couples, Aquilus and Priscilla. He would also meet a man named Crispus who was the leader of a synagogue who after meeting with Paul, he and his whole household would come to know Christ would believe the gospel of Jesus Christ and shift their ways over to Jesus. On the heels of resistance, on the heels of adversity, on the heels of people mocking him, on the heels of, of people just being completely disinterested, he continues on, he moves forward, goes to Corinth. All of this happens. And then after he meets with Crispus, you'll read it in verse nine of chapter 18. He receives a word from the Lord in a dream. Again, immediately following all of the resistance and, and, and ultimately persecution through the mocking of, uh, of himself. Verse 9 says, don't be afraid. The word of the Lord speaking to, to Paul in a dream. Don't be afraid. But keep on speaking. And don't be silent. For I am with you. And no one will lay a hand on you to hurt you. Because I have many people in this city. It's that Habakkuk moment where, where God tells Habakkuk, I'm doing something in this day that you know nothing about. He, he's speaking right to the heart of Paul, saying, man, I, I, I'm telling you, I got you. You just keep on doing what you're doing. I, I, I've got things working behind the scenes that you don't know anything about. I know you're discouraged, but I'm trying to show you by the favor I've given you in Corinth, I'm trying to show you that there is a, a method to the madness here. There is a reason for the, for the, 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 for the stuff you're going through. And the, the, the message that Paul receives in this moment, I believe is the same thing for you and me. And it's very simple. Keep at it. Keep pushing. Keep sharing. Keep praying for that my one. Keep buying those lunches. Keep texting those encouraging messages. Keep sharing the gospel. Keep loving. Keep serving. Why? Because God never gave up on you. He never gave up when you persecuted when I mocked, when I pushed him away, when I was distant, when I said, no, I'll hear you later about that, when I was completely delaying what God wanted to do, he kept at it. As my FCA coach would say, ain't no quitting that man. Shout out Coach Terry. He's in glory now. Ain't no quitting that man. He did not give up on you. So the moment, church, you're, you're faced with the decision. Man, is this worth it? It's a tough is this really worth the trouble? Can I remind you of the heart of a God? I ain't got no quit in him. 
He's coming after us. He never gives up. And so all I'm telling you this morning is that we are to show committed love because we have seen committed love. We show committed love because we've seen committed love. The truth is, Paul could have given up. He could have. He could have totally uh, just said, you know what, this is the, we didn't read the other parts, this is the fifth or sixth time throughout his ministry so far that he's been rejected. Over and over, sharing the gospel, nah, not for me. Sharing the gospel, I'm, I'm not, not for me. Or getting made fun of, getting driven out, getting imprisoned, getting all kinds of things are happening to him because of this. And if anybody had the right, if we want to be honest, to give up, it'd be a fair point for Paul. He's endured it. And at one point in scripture, he talks about all of the different things that he's endured. And to be totally honest, there's also parts in scripture where Paul would actually tell the church he's writing to, man, I'd give up if it were up to me. It makes me want to quit. So imagine, go down that road for a second. Imagine Paul quits. Imagine he, you know, he just throws in the towel. Says, you know what, I'm done. I've tried this whole Jesus thing part of the way and it's just not happening for me anymore. It's too hard. Life is just too difficult. You know what happens? Paul quits in this moment chronologically. You and I never read, listen, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Romans, Philemon, Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians, 1 Timothy, Titus, and 2 Timothy. Never happens. And I just wonder today, church, is what, what would you be leaving on the table if you quit? You decided it's just not worth it. I'm just gonna... I'm gonna hang out at Cracker Barrel, sit on my rocket chair and sing blessed assurance till God takes me to glory. And you just punt. I wonder what you'd be leaving on the table. Praise God for those in this church and those in this world who serve until the day they go home. There is no, I'm done now. And I'm, I'm not giving up. The call is too great and our God is too good for me to give up. So what would you be leaving on the table? What, what, what would all of a sudden not happen? What's the potential that you'd be punting because you just wanna quit? Who is the person, that, that one that you've been praying for that you just decide, nah, it's not worth it? What happens? I don't know. But God put them in your heart. We do the work of the ministry. The kingdom now happens through us. We are the children of God. It happens through us. So Paul knew what you and I would do really well to remember. And this is, if there's a take-home point today, Jason, I think, calls it sermon in a sentence. Sometimes kingdom work requires learning to play the long game. Sometimes kingdom work means learning to play the long game. What I mean by that is you might not see success overnight, Statistically, you probably won't. You may not see this massive revival come out of your testimony at a women's Bible study. You may not see, you know, you share Christ with one person at J. Alexander's and now all of a sudden there's a massive movement throughout Cool Springs. You may not see that. But kingdom work requires us to play the long game sometimes. 
to press on. I love the wording in Philippians 3, which all we just said, by the way, would not have been written without this moment of decision to press on. But, but Paul uses those words in Philippians 3. I press on towards the upward calling of God, the prize of Christ Jesus. I butchered that. But you get the point. You Bible scholars out there are like, who is this guy? Philippians 3.14, for those that I'm quoting. But the, the words, I press on, it indicates a struggle. It indicates that it's not easy. I push through it. I press on. Why? Because the upward calling of God in Christ, there it is. The upward calling of God in Christ is, is too good. The call is too great. So Paul remembered what you and I would do well to remember, that the long game is sometimes the game to be played. You may not see it overnight. In fact, I, I recall as a teenager, I realized that, and this is just wild to me, that my great-grandmother died at 103 years old. She had a good run. That's the Memphis in me coming out. She had a good run. That wasn't our tombstone or anything. Um, but she, I didn't realize this till I was a teenager because she was one of the sweetest people I have ever known in my entire life. I mean, just salt of the earth would give you any, I mean, she would, I mean, change a tire and she's four foot six. Like I'm telling, she was a, some sort of Supreme Court person in the country of Latvia. So she knew about it, right? Uh, as she grew up during World War II and World War, World War I, World War II, all of that, and uh, saw a whole lot of awful things. And I never realized this because of how sweet she was, but Mama Kay, as we called her, never knew the Lord. She had seen too much, she would say. Days were too dark. Man, if if there's a God that even exists, that he certainly doesn't love us because why would he allow my family to be killed in front of me in Latvia? Why would he allow all these awful things to happen? And we'd reason with her after I realized God had called me to ministry, I, I, I began to really study all that I could because she knew the Bible. And she'd use it. But she'd use it to explain why she didn't believe. And I'll never forget, I was sitting in Guatemala on a mission trip, and I got a phone call at the mission house we were staying in, um, uh, Chimaltenango, there, and, and it was my sister. And she called me, it was, it was three, four days after Christmas one year, I think it was 2013 or 14. And uh, she broke up on the phone, and she said, hey, I want to let you know Mama Kay died this morning. And church, you want to talk about a come apart. I come unglued sitting in that mission house on the edge of a bed. And I began to think, man, I, do I need to go home? I, obviously, she, she lived in Arkansas, so we were gonna, I, can I fly home now? We had three or four days left on this trip. So can I, can I get, you know, uh, can I get home? And I called our missions pastor. He said, we can get you home if I need to. Obviously, let us know. And I called my mom. And I said, hey, I, I wanna come home. Obviously, I wanna be there for the funeral. And I, we we're trying to make it happen. And I'll never forget what she said to me. And I don't even know if she remembers saying this. But she said very quietly, she said, you can do that. But she said, based on what we know about Mama Kay, you're where you need to be. Come apart number two. You see, I could have gotten discouraged the moment that Mama Kay ends up passing away. Now she knows the truth, as morbid as that sounds. Could have gotten frustrated. God, why would you, 
Why would you not, not, not give me the right words to convince her? Why, 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 how, how did this all happen? Why, why, what do you have to lose, right? That was my point. Like, wh- why would you not at least try it? Could have gotten frustrated. And if it wasn't for the words of wisdom from a mama, they said, hey, you're where you need to be. Press on. Move forward. You have thousands in front of you that you deem to know the hope that Mama Kay never knew. So press on. Move forward. Play the long game here. Don't get bent up on this. Keep working. Keep pressing in. Don't give up. So Paul knew to play the long game. And what the long game means to me, it means being patient by the power of the Holy Spirit of the living God who lives inside of you, who does the work for you. It's being confident in your calling to know that God is in charge of the results. And it means being persistent in your participation, like my father-in-law was. Persistent. Not easily distracted, easily dismayed, easily frustrated. But, man, I've got a call on my life that is not up to me. It's going to remain whether I answer it or not, so I better, better answer it. We play the long game sometimes. So my my message to you is very simple today, man. It's easy around the holidays with family coming in that maybe you've been working on for a number of years, friends, neighbors, coworkers, that you've been praying for, you've been discouraged by, you've been frustrated with, you've been hopeful for only to be let down or, or whatever it might be. I mean, can I tell you, you ain't got a right to quit. My FCA, Coach Terry, he ain't got no quit in him. That may be true of us. We don't have no quit in us. We're pressing on, moving forward, not getting easily distracted or discouraged, but pressing on toward the upward calling of God in Christ. Can we pray together? As we're in a, an attitude of prayer, I, I do wanna just, for a moment, have us consider a couple of things. If you have been a part of this church and you do have that my one that God has put on your heart, obviously we already prayed over that earlier, but I wanna take a, a, an approach with this that you would begin to pray for yourself in this matter. Because it's Acts chapter nine when Paul, God describes Paul as he is my chosen instrument. I believe that's true about you and me if we'll let God use us. So take a moment and just pray that God gives you the, the courage, the, the, the persistence, the endurance to keep pressing in, to keep moving. For those in the room with heartache today, hurting, discouraged, frustrated, doubtful, broken, can I tell you that Jesus knows? There's rest at the foot of the cross today.
there's hope. The cross of Christ is proof that God did not desire to be distant. So let him draw you close today. I know we're beat down at times, especially around the holiday season. So maybe you pray for yourself or a family you know around you who's walking through a dark season. Your family, somebody at work, somebody in this church family, somebody on a sports team that your kid plays in or whatever it might be. You pray for God to be near to the brokenhearted, to motivate them, to bless them, to encourage them, bring them peace. Father, we do celebrate the idea that we can trust you. We celebrate the fact that you are a God who is not shaken by our circumstances. You're not concerned. You're not worried. Because you're sovereign. God, I confess to you that I'm 26 and you're eternal. So we probably have different perspectives on things. So God, help me, help help each of us to to keep your perspective on on the throne of our hearts. May we see what you're doing in the midst and may we keep our hands to the plow. Not, Not discouraged, not frustrated, not pushed down or convinced to quit because of a hard season, but may we be pressed in and so committed, persistent and driven till you call us home. God, we're thankful for the call that's on our lives and we ask you to continue to impress it upon us in a powerful way. And so may we be found faithful to press all the way in. Be patient as you use us for your honor and your glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.